0: So Money, episode 818, Ask Farnoosh with our friend Brittany Castro, certified financial planner and founder of Financially Wise Women.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself.
0: Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry,
1: you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. It's Friday, December 7th. How was your week? Give you some highlights from my end. Uh, So Tuesday, I did a really cool taping over at the Dr. Oz show on something that's not so cool. I guess, uh, online shopping addiction. Yeah. So uh, there were actually two women who came on the show, admittedly, have online shopping addictions disorders. Like these are women who spend thousands of dollars a month buying stuff they don't need. A lot of times because they are, you know, alone, feeling stressed, feeling anxious, isolated in some cases. And of course, it's not easy when you're online and you're getting targeted ads and you're on Instagram and you've got targeted ads and all your friends' feeds with all the fun stuff they're doing and you want to do it too and so it just becomes this this sort of uh you know tsunami effect I suppose where then you just like feel out of control and you hit buy and you hit purchase. PS also there's like an actual dopamine surge that happens when you shop. A lot of us know this but we don't remember that that's actually what's happening and why we love to spend, and it can ultimately become an addiction for so many people. So very grateful to the Oz team for inviting me to kind of bring this to light a little bit, talk about a lot of the leading causes, talk about some solutions, and especially grateful for the women who came on the show who were open and honest about their their struggles with this. And the episode is going to air later this month, so stay tuned. Um, I will be putting that on social media for Sure. Also, this week on Thursday, I had a great time in the morning on Thursday attending a breakfast for Dress for Success, which is a really important cause for me, helping women feel great. When you feel great, you do great. And what's better than helping women achieve their career goals? And you know, to the extent that I can support Dress for Success, I do. It was a great breakfast, learning more about the uh, organization. And it was at the Rainbow Room. Rockefeller Plaza, which is a really cool place if you've never checked it out. Old school for sure. All right. Today we have a very special guest. You know her, Brittany Castro. She's a certified financial planner, founder of Financially Wise Women, and she's here to help us answer your money questions, of course. But also in the beginning, we're going to spend a good bit of time talking about the finances of running a business. Brittany is the founder of Financially Wise Women, as I mentioned, and it's something that she really built from the ground up in her 20s. And I know a lot of us listening, it's important to us, especially as we look at the new year, we're kind of reassessing our careers, maybe making that transition to starting a business or growing our existing business. I thought this would be a good time of year to give you some tips. Brittany is a fellow Chase ambassador, and she's here on behalf of Chase Inc. uh, to share some insights into running that business successfully, how to find the right mentors for growing your business. It's important to find the right financial mentors and sponsors to help make the financial aspects of your business simpler also how to manage the money in your business and in your personal life at the same time. This is a hot question, right? How do I create boundaries? How do I create systems? How do I not dip into my personal savings to fund my my venture? Of course, we also have your so money questions, questions like how to afford supporting adult children. So yeah, it's really hard to afford children, children, like babies, child care, it adds up and it's really a lot for new parents. But then, you know, the kids grow up and you find yourself still footing the bill, even though they're in their 20s, for things like school and graduate school. So we're going to help a parent out on that end. Also, how to retool your savings after paying down student loans. So if you're somebody who is near the end of paying off student loans and you're looking forward to it because you're going to have better cash flow, what do you do with that cash flow now? How do you kind of reinvest that money? And also leveraging social media to promote your brand and your business. So we cover a lot of ground. Stay tuned. Here is Brittany Castro. Brittany Castro, welcome to So Money. At this point, I mean, I could just say it's just be So Money with Brittany and Farnoosh. I mean, you've been on the show so
1: many times. We love having you on. How are you? How's your December going? Hi, I'm so stoked to be on. I know. I feel like... Um... What this is our fifth or sixth time now? At least, yeah. I know. December's going well. Um, it's super sunny here in Los Angeles. So um. Well believe it or not, it's sunny here in Brooklyn today, yeah. which is a rarity. Yeah, I was there a few weeks ago when it started snowing, the first snow of even. And, uh, we,
0: we just don't know what we're going to get ever, so we we take it we, we take it uh, all in stride. Excited to have you on the show today. We're going to answer some listeners' questions as it's Friday. Ask Farnoosh and Brittany, but I thought it'd be also cool to sort of go down memory lane a little bit with you. It's been a while since you've come on the show to talk about your career and your business and how it came to fruition. I think that you're someone that we can learn so much from. As a fellow Chase ambassador, I know you have some really great tips for those of us who want to start businesses or we're in the thick of it and we want to tap into some good Instruments, resources, financial advice to get us, uh, to the next level. So we'll start with that and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll transition to some of our so many questions. But first, I mean, give us a little bit of background. We've had you on the show now a lot. I think a lot of us know you as, you know, the financial expert extraordinaire, founder of Financially Wise. You're everywhere. Uh, but it wasn't always this way, right? You built this from scratch. So take us back to you know,
1: how you basically started and, and what triggered it. Basically, I studied business economics in college. And when I was leaving, I sat down with my career counselor and I said, what am I supposed to do now? And uh, I got a job offer from a financial planning company and it was for a financial advisor position. And I told her about it and I said, I have no idea what this is. Um, do what do you think? And she says, well, I think you should try it give it a shot and see if you like it. So that's basically what I did. And I didn't know what a financial advisor was. I mean, it wasn't like I had this dream to be a financial planner by any means, but I always had an idea that I would have a business like that. I remember being something in my childhood, just like very clear. I wanted a business. Um, So I started when I was 22 years old at the financial planning company, and I was there for about five years. And it was, it was perfect timing, actually, because there was a lot of training that was still going into new advisors. Like literally, we had a model week, and we had sessions every morning, like uh, classes about how to be a financial advisor, how to communicate with clients, how to market yourself, like how to run a business. So I, I feel grateful that the timing was right, because I know that's tricky and hard to find these days. Um, and after about five years there, I started to realize I wasn't thriving. (laughs) I would look up and just kind of feel like, okay, I'm one of the only women here. I don't really feel like I belong in this financial world. Um, I do enjoy working with people. I do enjoy helping them, but I don't know if I could stay within this like more corporate model. And I had a lot of ideas about what I wanted to like, do and how to work with clients. And, and so I left that company in 2010. And I went to an independent company. And this was in Los Angeles. So I just had to like rebuild my book of business because those clients didn't go with me. Um, And then I got my CFP designation. So I was 26 years old, got the CFP, started to learn and study online marketing and branding and how to create a niche for myself within this industry. And I think at that time, Um, focusing on women was very um, just like appropriate because being a woman in finance, like I said, I kind of felt like I didn't belong and I stood out. But also when I would talk to all these clients, the women would always ask me just like life questions about money. Is this going to be enough to take care of my family? Am I going to be you know, an old bag lady. So the concerns and the questions women had weren't necessarily about standard deviation of their portfolio or beta, you know, like the things that you're kind of trained to talk about with clients. They were more concerned about how is my money going to help me live the life that I envision and take care of myself, my family and my community. So I really just started to learn that, study that, see how my own experiences very similar and focus on being a financial planner for women. So I niched myself. I started a blog called Financially Wise Women and just started to create content about women and money and promote myself as a speaker to teach workshops about women and money and like rebuilt my book of business. And after about a few, two and a half years there, I left and started my own company, which is what I have now. So this is a registered investment advisory. And the purpose of that, for Farnoosh, was because I didn't want to just be a traditional financial planner. I wanted mm-hmm. to become a speaker. I wanted to become more of like an advocate, like a thought leader in this industry and mm-hmm. and use those other talents that I had with speaking and just connecting with people to spread the message of financial literacy on the mass level. And so six years later, here I am. We do financial planning. And then we also, like I said, do a lot of the speaking for mm-hmm. our chase and get to do fun cool. things like this. Going back to your start, it
0: sounds like you didn't have it all figured out, which I kind of love because I get listeners writing in sometimes women who want to become financial advocates. They want to make a career transition. They, they're inspired by people like you and other women in the finance space, and they want to also support other women in the world of money, they don't know where to start. They're like, okay, should I get the CFP? Do I get a, Do I start a blog first? And to hear your story, it almost sounds like um, you can't have it all figured out. The most important thing is that you stay curious. You do nicheify at some point, that's important, but um, you sort of have to just throw yourself into it, right? Does that sound like a good way
1: to approach it? Or are there certain things that you have to have in place? Totally. No, I think you're spot on. And I think now more than ever, having that entrepreneur mindset, whether you're working for somebody or working for yourself is extremely important because the world is changing so quickly and work is not what it used to be. So I think for me, I I never had it figured out. I honestly, I don't think anyone really does. I think that's a myth, right? But you show up every day, you do good work, and you have an idea of where you want to go, but also you stay open to life and the possibilities that come your way. Like, you know, where I am now, I couldn't... Of course, I had a vision, but I couldn't have guessed all the things and the stepping stones <laughs> that happened to get here. And mm-hmm. even moving forward, you know, especially going into a new year and I'm thinking about what do I want for myself? What do I want for this business? Like, I, I still experience those feelings of... I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, doubt. And I think that's part of the process. And I think the best thing I could tell anybody is just do something. Because like the counselor who told me, she said, just do it. See if you like it or not. And then it'll lead you somewhere and you'll get more information. Like you said, stay curious. And then you can course correct.
0: You have some really good advice around creating systems financial systems for your business and for your personal life. This is also, I think, an area that a lot of people, whether they're looking to start a financial advisory or any business, right? There are some good practices that really help to steer your business as you're also protecting and growing your personal finances. How do you build that division?
1: Uh, What do you do in in your personal and business life? One thing I tell every small business owner, which I know sounds pretty basic, but they're is definitely so important to separate your business and personal finances. So obviously, when you're a business owner, you have so many things that you need to do and worry about like getting clients, you know, payroll systems like admin, legal, tax. But honestly, separating out and making sure those systems are super clean um, will help you get more clear about your business finances and how they can support your personal financial goals as well. And then another thing that I really learned is just credit as a business owner, you know, getting a business credit card um, that actually helps streamline a lot of your finances. So you can run all your expenses on the credit card, um, take advantage of reward points or whatever you get through that credit card. Um, Like, for example, I have Chase Inc., so I love it. Um, And and then also build credit for the business. So if there is a need for me to go and want more, like a line of credit to expand or whatever it might be, then I have already that history on my business um, credit history to help me further grow this company. So. I think, you know, I'll just tell you too, I'm a financial planner and I thought I knew a lot of these things about business finances, but also there's, there's something to be said about experiencing it and, um, learning by experience. And and I think that's also part of it, like forgiveness and course correct, because technology is constantly changing. And it's like constantly finding ways to make it better and more efficient. And so the moment you can really just dive in into those business finances and not be scared of them, I think the more profitable you, you can make your business or you can have more time off because now you're making the money you need and you don't have to stress more. So there's a lot of value from taking charge and control of it. It can feel overwhelming. And so
0: looking back, you know, I guess there's like we talked about earlier, there's no way to know everything ahead of time, especially when it comes to all the financial intricacies involved in your business. And, and, but there are certain, I think like definitions and certain areas of your business, financial life, your business finances that are worth learning about and getting really aware of things like cash flow, asset management, asset acquisition. You know, I I've re- I wrote a story once, like okay, a lot of us just want to bury our heads in the sand when it comes to money, and I get that. Like some days, I feel like that too. But at the minimum, you have to know these things, right? When it comes to your
1: business and money, what are the minimum things you have to know? Yeah, that's such a good one. I think you definitely have to know your cash flow, and you know, looking at your profit and loss statement for the company is so valuable because you can see. Uh, for the month, for the quarter, for the year, where's the money coming from? Where's it going? If there's expenses that need to be cut back, you can make those changes. Um, If you need to make more revenue to make your business more profitable, you can see what that number needs to be so that you can pay yourself a salary that you want, pay your business expenses, pay your business taxes, and, you know, still run a positive cash flow. So that one's huge. And I think when you think of a profit and loss statement, it's simply a, just like a budget for your business. So, <laughs> I think there's there's a lot of like need to overcomplicate things, but really it's not that complicated. Just look at it like a business budget and see, okay, that profit and loss, what is it saying? What is what is it telling you about your business? Um, and you could really like leverage that. If you know that, you know, certain times of the year or or better in terms of sales or whatever it is. And you can know that for next year. So it's it's so great to see that. Um, That's one. And then I would say just another one is just like, like kind of what we already talked about, but um, making sure you have business credit, because I think the reality is getting loans, especially if you're just starting a business is very difficult. It's not easy. Um, it can be done of course, but even simply starting with getting a business credit card, like, you know, just like you would for your personal credit, it helps you build the history. So then when it is time to go and ask for a line of credit or a loan, you you know, the bank can see that and see that you've been paying your bills on time and you have that credit line under your business um, EIN number or like entity number. Well, thank you. That was a really
0: good summary. I think that's a really good crib sheet. So listeners go back, rewind, play that part out again. I know I will be. <laughs> and we also have the transcript in so many podcasts, so don't stress it. I know that mentorship is also really critical. Where. Ever you are in your life, whatever your goals are, but particularly as a female entrepreneur, having other women especially vouch for you, mentor you, guide you is critical. I've been really uh, grateful to be on the receiving end of so much advice and support from women and men. What's been the case for you? Um, you know, and and how do you go about finding a mentor? Some of us feel like I work from home. I'm starting my business from my garage. You know, and and, I, and I'm so bogged down with the minutia of starting a business. I don't have time to go out there and network and meet people. Who do I actually tap to be a mentor? Sometimes we also feel like, are we bothering people when we reach out for
1: help? And I, I sort of feel like you have to get over that, right? Just like
0: <laughs> people actually do want to help you. You you'll be surprised.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually for women, a hard thing to ask for help and receive it. But I'll tell you when I started, um, I mean, I've always had mentors and men and women, I think it's so valuable. Business, you know, non-business mentors, just helping me like live a better life or, you know, get through a specific stage of my life um, and learn from them. Um, I've so when I started this company, I was actually like, I'm in, I'm still this way. Like I get super focused on like, who do I need to help me at this stage? And then I go out and look for them. So like, I remember specifically when I was starting this company, I, I didn't want financial mentors per se. I needed marketing mentors. So I was part of like organizations. One was step up women's organization, Um, and there was a, there was actually a formal mentor program. And I remember there was one woman, Liz Sanders, she's still a friend of mine. And she was like a branding specialist specifically for women entrepreneurs. So I made sure, like I submitted my application, went to the event she was speaking at, like made, went up and talked to her, told her exactly, Liz. I submitted an application for this mentorship program and I want you as my mentor. And then I told the people who were organizing that like partnering, I want Liz because there is also another financial planner and I thought they would probably want to pair me with her. So I made it known. Like I was almost like a stalker in a way. And then what happened? She became my mentor. So it's, it's not as hard as we often make it think. Um, I think it's very flattering a lot of times. And if you show up and like ask for help and you're very respectful of people and you value them, they're, they're willing to do it. And also I've had a lot of, um, I call them virtual mentors, but just books like you, Farnoosh, I remember reading your books (laughs) and then, you know, then we became like, colleagues and now friends. So Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like I've learned so much just by reading like people's stories and reading their books and their expertise and kind of hearing their journeys. So even if I don't know them per se, I've learned a ton. And I think that's super easy these days, just because the amount of content that's out there. Um, and then just like in a more like practical way, I've had, you know, a solid business attorney, a good CPA, um, to help me manage my business finances, help guide me. Like I remember in the beginning, I think it was in my first year of running the business. I sat down with my CPA and it was just so overwhelming. And I'm a financial planner, right? But it was just this like new area of money I was learning and she was going over so much and even though I kind of knew it in theory, like all things like talking about SEP IRA and deductions and all of this stuff. And I was just like so overwhelmed about PLs and balance sheets. But then, you know, it was like, okay, I just have to learn. And she, you know, would teach me the things I needed to learn. Um, having a good person at the bank, you know, when I opened my Chase bank accounts, I remember the person just like being really like helpful and, um, you know, building a, a, Partnership with your bank person is really good because again, they're going to be your advocate. So when you just need people to really help you and understand you and your story, because I think when it comes time to asking for help, they're going to vouch for you or fight for you. They're not just going to see you as like a number. Um, and I think just having a personal connection really goes a long way. No, I actually just reached out to... Um, Chase, because
0: I'm starting a, a new kind of like side business in the new year. And um, it's gonna be fun. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Los Angeles coming to you in April with a really fun experience. Brittany, you're invited, obviously, because you'll be around the corner. I don't even think I've told you about it. I've been very... Cryptic about this, but um, I've been very open to my Chase, you know, account partners there. We have a business account with Chase and, um, you know, they respond so quickly. We need to take out a line of credit. Like it's been really great. So I know what you mean. It's, it's, we live in a very fast paced, technology driven world where everything is automated. And that's on the one hand fantastic. But when you really need things like a loan or, feedback on your taxes. Like you can't, you can't go to AI for that. (laughs) You need a real human being who cares. So it's nice to know that uh, our society hasn't uh, sped up too quickly. And uh, speaking of the new year, a lot of us are, you know, looking ahead and thinking about turning that side hustle into a legit biz, like quitting our jobs and starting that company. What are what's your best tip for productivity? I wanna focus a little bit on how to implement some good practices to help you streamline because I know that time is limited for all of us. It's kind of the uh, the common denominator, right? I mean we all have great ideas and, and the time of it of how to execute with all that you want to do is really difficult because we've got families, we've got other things going on. So what's, uh, what's worked for you?
1: Yeah, I have so many here. And, and this is like actually something I've been looking at, again, myself, because it's just the time of the year. Um, but I think one thing is just to simplify, especially as business owners. You know, like I said, we all know there's so much that we're doing just within the business alone, let alone all our personal, you know, parts of our life family, um, relationships. So simplify sometimes, you know, we make it too complex, like, you know, write down the most important things that you need to do in the day, like five of them and, and feel good about doing that. Um, have as many systems as possible. Like I think technology is great. So whatever your, um, business is, how can you automate scheduling meetings? How can you automate? Um, You know, just different aspects of your business using even like automating your business finances, you know, by using a credit card and and separating out your business finances, having whatever accounting software, having regular meetings with your CPA to review all of that. Like that can be a simple automation or, you know, map it out in the calendar. Um, Another thing that I really do is I create a model week for myself um, and I try to stick to it as much as possible. Of course, life happens and you got to work around it. But for example, on Mondays and Thursdays, I don't see client meetings at all. It's non-negotiable. And I've been doing that for six years. So it helps me just know that on Mondays, it's like when I talk to the team and I'm doing like business admin or development stuff, um, Thursdays is usually more like my day, whether it's like creating content or just taking care of things that I need to take care of in my life to feel good and be a business Mm -hmm. owner and help clients and, you know, be in my life. So I, I learned that actually when I first started my career to have a model week and it's, it's a, you know, it's a game Mm -hmm. changer.
0: creating boundaries. That's kind of what it sounds like you're saying, like just create a framework, create boundaries, non-negotiables. I like the sound of that. Um, It sounds maybe like you're limiting yourself, but truly you're freeing yourself up and giving yourself room for other things, which is so important. Staying in, as involved in your personal life as you are in your business, even though all maybe twenty four seven is all you're thinking about business, it's very easy to get into that state of mind where you're just obsessed about the business, and then you wake up in July and you know <laughs> um, you're all alone. <laughs> so it's important to just keep keep that in mind. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up, um, mm-hmm. listeners. We're going to transition now to some so many questions. Before we do, I want you to know that. All of Brittany's tips, as well as credit card solutions for your business, can be found at chase.com forward slash inc. It's easy to remember, I N K. And you've been doing some really great work uh, for that division, Brittany, I know. And so thanks for that. All right. So, ready for some questions from the audience? This is, these are a lot of these came from Instagram. Ooh, love it. Brittany, you have a really awesome Instagram handle. So, everybody follow Brittany on Instagram. Um, But Magda, this is actually related to small business, asks, I love this. She finally built up the courage to quit her job and start her business. And she wants to know, do we have any tips on how to gain momentum on Instagram and social media as a female in finance? Her business seeks to bring financial education classes to employees and businesses to teach them why it's critical to start investing early. So you're the queen of Instagram. You have a beautiful feed. It's super inspirational. Tell us a little bit about your secrets.
1: Yeah, I guess one thing I would say is just have an editorial calendar, map out all your content. I mean, ours is very systematized. Um, Very rarely do we just like post in the moment. Um, And I mean, there's a part of that, like on the story, of course, it's more like live stuff, but if you're really focused on creating content around the specific area and wanting to bring education classes, I think you've got to just make sure your content is speaking that and, and people know that's what you do. So sharing, I'm just thinking like sharing tips would be great or quotes. And then like making sure that you have somewhere every now and then that you offer these types of services. So people are aware. Um. And then, like I said, just having the calendar so you know every week when you're posting what you're posting, and that will just help you <laughs> um, not like be so overwhelmed by it. Yeah, I would just add to that,
0: and this is something that I have to work on myself a little bit better, is being consistent, just like any treat Instagram sort of like any other piece of content that you're putting out there that you want to continue to attract followers, engage with your community, whether it's a blog or a podcast. Social media is really a platform, just like anything else. And the more you are consistent, so people know like every day there's going to be a fresh quote, or maybe your cadence is twice a day or once every other day, like figure that out. You kind of alluded to that, Brittany, with the editorial calendar, but staying consistent, I think is of the utmost because if you go a week and you go on vacation and you don't have anything that, you know, I think that's, um, you're going to lose people. And the whole point is to grow and to reach as many people as possible. So that is something that I admit to. I have a hard time with that. I don't have an editorial calendar. I'm much more like on my, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants on Instagram. <laughs> I like it though. Your Instagram's
1: great. I didn't, and that's another Key point though, Farnese, is everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So just because I do this version doesn't mean everybody else. So I think that's also knowing yourself and how you work best, mm-hmm. and you know, just acknowledging it. That's great.
0: All right, thanks for the advice and good luck, Magda. Congratulations! I'm really um, excited for you. Keep us posted. Okay, Gemma on Instagram wants to know um, she's preparing to go back to school full time for a career change in a little over a year. She's thirty. She's trying to save money to cover her living expenses during that time to pay for tuition, but also at the same time looking to take on a good chunk of debt. Her question is, should I stop or reduce my retirement contribution to save money? She currently contributes 8% of her income, and she gets an additional 6% match from her employer, regardless of whether she contributes. So combined, that's 14% or at minimum 6%. So I think... She could dial it down a bit and save some money, transfer some of that into a savings bucket to then use for school so that she can come out of school with as little debt as possible. Any other tips?
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if they're going to give you 6% no matter what, that's amazing. So, yeah, look at your budget. See what You you know what the difference is going to be, or maybe you know, even if you just say, "Oh, I'm going to save a few hundred bucks by lowering the contribution slightly during this time period," like you said, then you could put that money in a savings account to then be used to pay down the debt later. So, I mean, I
0: think that yeah. I mean, we always talk about on this show, and you probably have heard it elsewhere. I know Brittany, as a financial planner, this you would agree with this that especially, you know, she's 30. Uh, so she still has a lot of time until retirement, unless you want to retire at 40, which I don't think that's, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get that from her question. But you know, there are some people who are a little more aggressive. She would benefit probably from saving up to 10% of her income. Um, while she has an income, I assume, you know, she's going back to school full time, her income's going to come to a halt for a while. So to the extent, Gemma, that you can save up to 10% a year of your income in retirement and so 6% is already done for you so for you that's just 4%. If you can do 4% and still focus on saving to cover your living expenses during grad school, I think that's a win-win scenario. But look, you know, 6% is still great. It's not I wouldn't say it's going to be the the best percentage until you retire. I think after you graduate, from school and then you're making another salary, try to maybe play a little catch up. So if you've been kind of cruising at 6% during school or rather before school for a year or so, maybe when you graduate up it to like 12 or 15% for a little bit, and then you can maybe go back down to 10. But again, look, there are a lot of calculators out there. I'm just speaking generalities, right? But there are a lot of calculators that can give you more specific allocation percentage, um, based on what your goals are in retirement. So I would really encourage you to check out some of those free online calculators for retirement. You can get a much more specific assessment there. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think so too. And and like you said, it the reality is you're still young. This is just like a short-term shift of focus, you know? Um, and it doesn't mean you're not going to always do this amount for a 401k, but maybe for the next few years you do less mm-hmm. um, and then go back. To, when you're making more money. So yeah. hopefully you're going to get more money after you go back to school, right? I hope so. Get an ROI. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Good luck
0: to you, Gemma. Good luck in school. Stay stay with us here. we got lots of advice for everybody, including people who are in school. Okay. This person's IG, Instagram handle... Is called Boring Wallflower. <laughs> um, I hope that's a joke. Uh, I, it sounds like you have quite the personality, though, Boring Wallflower. She says, I'm contributing 12% of my income to retirement now. I love this. I love that our audience is so on top of things. 25 years old. I was not doing this at 25. I don't know about you, Brittany, but I was definitely not contributing 12% of my income to retirement at that age. So kudos to you, Boring Wallflower. Um, she says, I've finally paid off my medical school debt and I want to absorb part of what I was putting towards that into my fund money. And then the rest, I don't know, savings, investments. Should I put the rest in retirement, bonds, cash? So I guess her question is, how do I create a plan? She's just paid off her medical school debt. So I imagine she's got a nice chunk of change left at the end of every month now that would have otherwise gone to debt. Now she's like, what do I do with this? I think she should reward herself and use some of that as fun money for sure. But then the rest, I, I don't know. She's doing pretty decent with her retirement investments. Maybe she puts it in a bucket that's like a goal oriented bucket for the next five years. If you want to buy a house, buy a car, go on mad trips for the next five years, like tour the world. I, I feel like there are other, a lot of things she could do with this money and it's kind of her choice,
1: right? Definitely. I think just to keep in mind, you know, we say 20% of your net income is what you should be saving for your different goals. So if you're putting 12% in retirement and maybe there's now leftover money, if you want to capture, you know, just whatever, 8% and allocate it into short term savings for your cushion, for travel, for a home, I think that would be great. I don't know if you have a cushion already. Um, But we always recommend that because there's just so many things that will happen between now and retirement that you need cash for. Um, And then agreed, definitely allow yourself to have some of that money and just enjoy it um, on whatever brings you most joy in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the 20% is a good range.
0: Yeah, and I was reading something about women and financial planning. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, like women aren't coming necessarily like sometimes men do and go, you know, what's my, what's my, what's the beta on this portfolio? I mean, those are good questions to ask, but we're also concerned about achieving goals. You know, we have a lot of things we want to afford a family, a house, school, a business. And so I think this is kind of a fun exercise for you, boring wallflower is like, think about what do you want to accomplish in the next two to five years and how can your money get you there? And if it is something that is an immediate goal, I would say before five years, I would not put that in the stock market necessarily. That's a little too high risk. Put it in something a little more safe, quote unquote, safe bonds. Maybe it is just cash, especially if you want this in the next couple of years. The goal is really just to shore that money up rather than earn an interest rate on it so that you can execute quickly on that goal. Um, So I'm not worried about you. Good luck. Keep us posted. I want to know what you end up doing. Don't be shy, boring wallflower. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, we have a question from TD Richards, also on Instagram. This is about parenting and how does one manage through the phases of financial parenting? Is the question? Says so lots of lots of focus on new parenting and daycare, but not a lot about you know when they're in college or just out of college. Uh, This person says, we did save a lot in a 529 plan, but we are still cash flowing college, and now we have a 23-year-old in post-grad. The kids are trying to stay debt-free, but it's putting a lot of stress on us parents. Oh, I hear this a lot. There's a lot of emotion at play here, right, Brittany? Like parents want to feel like they're setting their kids off on the right path. And many parents, their, their hope and dream is to be able to send their kids to school debt-free. That's one of our goals as well. Education is of the utmost in our families. So I get it. But if it's really putting a stress on your budget and finances and, 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 and deterring your ability to retire well and on time, I think you have to really do a reality check, like an assessment check, like your kid's 23, um, maybe time to assume some financial responsibility,
1: Totally, and I think this. I mean, it, it is a lot of pressure these days, right? I mean, with daycare and just like, and then you feel the pressure to like save for their college. But I always tell parents too, like in terms of priority, I think you should always make sure you're taken care of financially by getting your cash cushion, and making sure your retirement is you know set up and funded, because you know, while you want to save for school and help your kids with school, I mean, there's loans for that. And as much as we don't want loans, the reality is you can at least help them pay off those loans. But it's, to me, a better gift to leave your kids like your financial security and, and independence, so they don't have to worry about you later in life. Because I do see that like if you're giving everything to your children, and then you have nothing, well, then, later down the road, they're almost like financially responsible for you. And that's not a good feeling either. So uh, obviously, everybody's different. And if you can do it all, yes, by all means, but I think focus on your own personal financial plan. Um, And then also don't forget the gift of just educating your own kids about money is great, too, you know, making sure they're understanding credit and how to pay off those loans in the most efficient way or how to set up a savings account and manage their budget. I mean, these are all things that will be valuable Mm long-term for them. So even if you financially give them the money or help them with those school costs, you know, educating them is, is key too. And
0: I'll just wrap by offering a little bit of an anecdote and I, I kind of was in the same boat as your 23-year-old at one point, uh, where I graduated from Penn State debt-free, and that was intentional, go to a state school where I wouldn't have to take out loans. My parents really were insistent upon that. They didn't want to have me be in debt. And you know they didn't have the money either necessarily to send me to a private school, like a fancy private school. So state school was our compromise, and it ended up being a wonderful choice, a lot of ROI. I always knew I wanted to go to graduate school, which was going to be another expense. And at that point, my parents said to me, "Look, get into the school that you want, um, but it's on you. We will help you to the extent that we can." And the way that they helped me was by giving me a monthly stipend for things like food and rent. And I even then I found a very, very you know cheap uh, apartment. It was rent controlled. It was like. Less than six hundred dollars a month in New York City, which is unheard of. I really did my research because, even though I knew my parents were going to support me, I just you know I wanted to be reasonable as well with them about it. And that for me, you know, yes, I had debt coming out at twenty three thirty thousand dollars worth of student loan debt. Um, but I think it was important for me to really feel um, that accountability and to have some skin in the game. And it all worked out. It took me some time to pay it off, but I. I really prioritized it and it did inherently teach me a lot about being financially responsible. So in some ways, I'm very thankful that that's the way things worked out. Would it have been easier if my parents paid for everything? Probably. But I think I would have gotten a later start on really becoming more accountable with my own money. So just to, you know, just a story to share and to pass on to you. Maybe that will give you some, some food for thought. But thank you for the question and keep them coming I love that everybody is using Instagram as a way to reach out at Farnoosh Tarabi is how to do it Brittany tell us how we can get
1: more connected to you you're everywhere yeah for everything I think the best thing is come over to financiallywiseinc.com we will do it we'll put that on the website
0: as well and also chase.com forward slash inc thank you for uh, supporting us for this episode and and everybody I hope your weekend is so money